Well, I do invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 132 as we come together for our time of prayer, corporate, family, together, seeking the face of God in prayer with hearts united. Psalm 132, I think, will be a great blessing to unite our hearts for this purpose together. The emphasis of Psalm 132 is the gathering together of the saints in the house of the Lord. Again, keep in mind, these, this series of psalms we've been going through, uh, there are about 15 of them, are focused, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. These are the songs, the psalms that, that the pilgrims sing and pray to God on their way to uh, the, the house of worship, on their way to Jerusalem. And then when they arrive, these are the, the, the offerings they give to God in prayer and in praise. And this one particularly focuses upon the blessing and the joy of gathering together with God's people in the house of the Lord. You know, for centuries, God's house has always been a special place for believers. In the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle and then the temple, but it was the place where God's people met together because it was there God had covenanted, I will put my glory on display here. And so to come and meet with me, you come here, you come to the tabernacle, you come to the temple and, and, and meet with me. For New Testament believers, wherever God's people meet together, whether it be uh, uh, some dusty old shop or whether it be a grand cathedral, whether it be a high school performing arts center, for New Testament believers, the promise is wherever we meet to gather together to worship God, to meet His, to see His glory and to see His greatness, He promises to be there and to, to glorify Himself in their midst. And that's what Psalm 132 here is celebrating. Let me just read one. This morning I'm going to read two different quotes, one at the beginning and one at the end. But this is a, a quote that in my studies for this passage. What makes God's house so special is not the building, or the architectural style, or the materials. What truly counts is the spiritual reality of what happens inside that place, the purity of the pulpit, the faithfulness of the worship, and the sincerity of the hearts. That is what makes God's house a true place of worship. Better to be in a crude little facility where the word of God is elevated and the glory of God exalted than to be in an extravagant large building where scripture is minimized and the glory of God is trivialized. And that's what Psalm 132 is all about. We gather together. It doesn't matter what's around. It's God. We're here to meet with our God. Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons of your body I will set on your throne. And if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. 
This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. And I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. And there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. But on him, his crown will shine. There's a lot of moving parts here in this psalm. It can be a little bit difficult to follow the flow of thought. But those first five voices, first five verses, express David's own desire to build a temple for the Lord. And you see there in verse 1, the psalm begins, Remember, O Lord, in, in David's favor. It's a prayer that God would remember the promise, not that David made to him, but the promise that God made to David. Because in verses 1 through 5, again, it goes back to 2 Samuel 7. You may recall David had this desire, earnest desire to build the temple for the Lord. And the Lord comes back to him and say, appreciate it. That's not my plan. You're not going to do it. I'll use you to gather some material to kind of get things started. I got somebody else. Your son is going to build the temple for me. Most important is not David's oath to God, but God's oath to David. God's oath to David in verses 13 through 18, where we see he, he prophesies, not only am I going to use your son to build my temple, here's my promise to you. I, I'm going to build a throne. I'm going I'm to build a kingship. And there I will always have a king on the throne over my people. Always. He'll always be there. One, one of your sons, a greater king than you, David, I'll install him on the throne forever and ever. And verses 13 through 18 lay out God's promise there. Now, here's the thing. Future generations of saints are going to sing this psalm not while they have a temple to go and worship in, but while they're in exile. God has promised in this psalm, I'm going to forever have a king on the throne over you. But there's going to be a period of about 400 years. There's not a king. And this song will be sung by the people of God in spite of their circumstances, which are not ideal. They're in exile. They're away from Jerusalem. They're away from the temple. They're away from all the grandeur and the glory and the glitz. And all they've got is God. And all they've got is to cling to not David's covenant with God, but God's covenant with David. Oh God, remember the covenant you made with David. That there would always be a king who would forever reign over your people. That's what we have to hold on to. That's what we have to cling to. And who was that king? Well, it wasn't Solomon. It wasn't any future. It was Christ. Verse 18 is what makes that clear to us. Verse 17 and 18, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I've prepared a lamp for not my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. God's promise there to make a horn, verse 17, a horn is a symbol of strength, a symbol of power. It's a reference to Christ. Christ is the truly anointed one. Christ is the one who will come and take this throne and rule and reign forever and ever. And in that day, the Messiah's enemies, just as we see here, verse 18, 
his enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine forever and ever. He will be crowned with a crown resplendent in glory. And the fact of the matter is, we're going through the book of Revelation right now. We know we're still awaiting that day. We are very much like those pilgrims who would have sang Psalm 132 in exile. And while there was a, a void of a king on their throne. But they sang this psalm in hope of God's covenant promise, the king is coming. And the king is Christ. And he will overcome all of his enemies. He will put them to shame. And he will reign forever and ever and ever. Therefore, as you gather together, church, we gather together to hope in Christ, to put our hopes in him, to, to cling to the promises of God that Christ is coming, that Christ has done everything necessary to take that throne. And that right now, as, even as we look at the book of Revelation, he's, he's on the throne. He's ruling sovereignly over all things. We're just waiting for him to come and to, 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 for the culmination, if you will, of the full story of redemption where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is king, he is Lord, he is God forever and ever. You see, worship for Psalm 132 is a worship of Christ, and the same thing is true for us. As we come together this morning for prayer, maybe this is our prayer. Lord, we are those pilgrims in exile. We're still awaiting the fulfillment of the promise. We are struggling. We are in our own individual lives, in our own individual families, maybe as a congregation. We are... We long for the fulfillment of this. So you have been so glorious to give us this opportunity to come together, even in this place, and to look to Christ. One more quote. God's house is to be a place where Christ is magnified. If God's word is expounded there, the glory of God fills that house of worship. If God's son is magnified there, the grace of God is manifest in that place. No matter how stunning or simple God's house is, if the word of God and the son of God are honored, that place becomes a glorious house of praise. What ultimately makes a church is not its architecture, but its adoration. Not its size, but its substance. Not its entertainment of man, but its exaltation of God. And that's what we've gathered. That's pure worship. The adoration of Christ. The exaltation of God. Making much of him.